Um, somebody just commented on my post about human rights saying, I don't like to disagree, but they are needs, not rights. Bro, oh get God. off of my fucking Twitter. <laughs> Go away. Out of here. <laughs> nah, what, did, what did you even say? I said, well, I haven't said anything to him, but I said that uh, like food and water and shelter and all of those are basic human rights because yep. I believe that they all are. And yeah. he said they're needs, not rights. I'm like, if every single person on this earth fucking needs something, then it's a right. Then it's a fucking right. Yep. Oh my God. That, that sounds like major, you know, far right vibes. Like, well, you know, if you need something, therefore you should find the way to pay for it. I have probably $5,000 worth of textbooks just like sitting in this. Holy shit. It's ridiculous. I spent $1,500 a semester on textbooks and like three of them were online. Wow, that's bullshit. How dare they charge that much for online books? I know. I know. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Well, anyway, this is Behind the Tofu. Welcome back. Anyway. Welcome back to Behind the Tofu. <laughs> God. Oh my God. You're horrible at this. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm the worst. Without fail. Oh, my dog is, is sweetly napping next to me. Oh. Yeah. My pickle yeah. is, is not so sweetly in my face right now. Like, <laughs> oh, no. oh, what a baby. She looks exactly like the kind of dog I would imagine you would have, though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have two more babies. They're just running around the house, laying around. This is just my first baby. I feel like once you have one dog, you have to eventually get like two more because Mm -hmm. people are like, oh, it gets harder as you get more dogs. I'm like, no, actually, it gets easier because they take care of each other and you don't have to worry about them. Especially this one. She's so independent. She makes sure she gets what she needs. Uh, Welcome back to Behind the Tofu. A vegan podcast that brings you behind the tofu. Uh, exploring <laughs> exploring underrepresented topics and issues surrounding veganism. If you are enjoying our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. This is this is uh we have a guest today, and our guest is our good friend L, who we're Hi. so excited to have on here. L uh, is L Travels Vegan on both instagram and on youtube um they have a lot of really 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 awesome videos about traveling and just basic vegan tourism and a lot of really good um collective liberation information they also are a co-founder of vaao which is vegans against all oppression which is a new network for people to get together and talk about issues in veganism so i guess is there anything else i missed l I'm sure there's so much um, you got going on. You, ha- you you always have like a million things going on in your life. I know. <laughs> it's, it, it's a lot because I'm also very heavily involved with Black Lives Matter Greater New York. We recently um, were, were, were reached out to about the genocide in Tigray. So I just finished posting a, a, a reel for them yesterday. Yeah, you got to go check it out. It's, it's really horrific. We, everybody has to share but um, and tag the United Nations. But besides that, that YouTube channel is turning into a full-blown show. I updated all my equipment, upgraded everything, got new lenses, everything. Everything is brand new. And so we're actually shooting a show for Prime Video. Um, it's not just about eating vegan. That's just one portion. It's mostly about just showing people the, the local contrast to their cultures and how to live vegan in, in those cities. And everything take, comes into play. I'm sorry if I'm talking too much about it. No, right no, 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 girl, you're on here to talk about everything. I'm sorry. I, uh, 
I'm kind of going to be going in between on your pronouns and I apologize for that. That's fine. I I feel very fluid, you know, as either... a fellow non-binary person, I was like, yeah. you know, yeah, I know. Right. No. And me same. Sometimes I switch back and forth and, 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 and I'm not aware, but you know, our, we always have our best intentions, right? Like, yeah, the, we don't intend to disrespect anybody or misgender anyone. So I, I know that that's understood between us. Yeah, good. I just wanted to to put that out there. Uh, so yeah, so the the new thing you got going on, the new video. When does that come out, and when are you gonna start doing all of that? The show. Well, we were supposed to shoot last year, but obviously, you know, COVID happened, and it was gonna be an international show, like with a bunch of international cities. But now, I think for this year, since we're starting to shoot right now, in next week, actually, we're doing the New York episode. Um, we're just going to keep it domestic. And one of the things that I love the most about it is that it's not like, again, like I said earlier, it's not about not so much the vegan food, but the whole lifestyle, you know, like even even cosmetic procedures, you can get certain cosmetic procedures that aren't tested on animals. You can, you, you, the, the clothes you buy, where do you shop? The, the, the type of actions that these vegans do in their community, because there's so many ways for vegans to make a difference. It doesn't have to be just promoting um, to stop eating animals. There's climate actions, there's human rights actions, because hello, humans are animals. So, you know, we always gotta include humans in our animal rights activism. It is gonna be so much, it's gonna be a very dynamic show. You know, every episode is gonna bring you a bunch of stuff of the vegan lifestyle in each city. So that's something I'm really excited about and, and looking forward to. I've that seen really so awesome. many, Thanks. yeah, sorry. I've seen so many people posting these community fridges recently. And I know Seth recently had one open up in his community. Uh, I think nice. that's, that's where you live, so, isn't it? You live somewhere, you live in the city, right? Oh yeah, yeah, me, yeah, I live in the yeah. Bronx. Oh, okay, the so Bronx. The, yeah, the fridge I was uh, posting about uh, is in uh, Lower Manhattan. Oh, I know what fridge you're talking about. Yeah, there's yeah, a few. Yeah. yeah, there's one in Brooklyn. There's one in Lower Manhattan. I know exactly what you're yeah, talking the one, about. Yeah, so it's a, it's an We built one of those one it, time. It's, it's at Overthrow, and it's the one, it's uh, yeah. being, it was started up by uh, Vegan Activist Alliance, uh, and it's all plant-based. Uh, they got they got on like three news stations talking about it. It was really awesome. That's yeah, I beautiful. think that that's something really inspiring that came out of COVID is people are really um, really starting to cater to their communities and do things that are community based and not necessarily like yeah. trying trying to engage in philanthropy like abroad the way that um, a lot of Americans tend to want to do, yeah. which is 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 an issue in and of itself because of colonialism, but. Going Thanks. back, um, it's really good to see that people are giving back to their own communities and starting to help build up people around them. That's great. What, what I also like about that is I feel like we're taking, you know, a bad situation, making it better. So what I'm seeing is that people are realizing, you know, the government is unfortunately not doing a lot for the people. And so therefore, we should be doing things to help each other, you know, mutual aid and such. And so, yes. you know, when that responsibility is placed in our hands, people see others struggling in their area and you have this compassion for people that are in bad situations if you've been in that kind of situation or you're just trying to understand and empathize what they're going through and that's you know what's beautiful about communities trying to thrive thanks that is mutual aid has definitely become especially with last year like you said it has become um a very normalized thing especially here in new york city um, the work that I did with BLM, we were actually delivering groceries to hundreds and I, I would say or at least over a thousand people here that needed it um, in the beginning of the pandemic last year. And things like that should be normalized. Us, us helping ourselves, us protecting ourselves. 
that and then the protecting ourselves is one key part also with BLM Greater New York. We started the Black Ops, which um, where we're training folks to to protect themselves and be vigilant and 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 police the police because we don't have a system in place to police the police. You know what I mean? Like in the UK, my friend Robbie was telling me how they have a whole entire system in place for police complaints and, and and to monitor what they do. So that's something that that we need here. We not only need to feed ourselves, but we also are able to. You know that reminds ourselves. me of uh, the Black Panthers. Yes. You know. Exactly. You seen that movie? It came no. Out what movie? Tell me. No, I haven't seen it yet. But uh, I was, HBO Max. I was, um, I was thinking about yeah, what you were saying. The Black Panthers is they were demonized, like right for be, for doing all this mutual aid, and now we're seeing facts. growth of it, and it's not necessarily under the name that's been demonized. But maybe you know there should be a growth of those uh, those types of organizations. Uh, and I'm really it's so cool to see that you're actually like teaching people to fight back like physically, um, and you know to have be able to have self defense strategies because a lot of people don't have access to like to martial arts or any other way of like, you know, defending themselves. It's awesome. I agree. You know, the idea of seeing these kind of mutual aid things grow and, and community protection is really important because, you know, uh, in, in the era of we are in now where there's such a huge police state overbearing us, the mm -hmm. least we can do is try and protect ourselves and our friends and family. Facts. You don't have to call the cops right away. And 99% uh, of the time, in my opinion, cops will make things worse. They don't they don't make things better. Like there's so many situations that that we we can literally call like if we were to call 911 instead of them sending police, maybe sometimes we don't need police. Maybe we need medical aid. Maybe we need mental health aid. So in Colorado, I saw um, recently they tr they trialed a program. I forget where in Colorado. It might have been in Denver where they trialed people sending mental health counselors to situations where people called the police. And it worked. There was like, you know, basically all positives came out from it. Um, and we will link that in the sources. I will go back and find that. But it was a really fascinating article seeing how much they tried an idea that people are, you know, suggesting to, you know, have the mental health, you know, counselors respond to nonviolent actions. And yeah. Yeah, my mom is uh, my mom is a social worker, right? Or she was for a really long time, and um, she was put. She worked for a nonprofit, but that was like a subsidiary of the Child Protective Services, right? And she saw a lot of like really bad situations, but you know, it never because of the skill set that social workers know, it never escalated past that point where somebody got injured. And that's something that I think is really important for people to understand is that, you know, you need to have people who are trained for specific, for specific situations. You need people who are trained in diffusing violent situations, like especially domestic violent situations. Exactly. Um, yes. Because a lot of the situation, like a lot of the issues with domestic violence is codependency and people, you know, um, having like I know like, I know you and I both have experience with this, but having codependency on another person and then not being able to separate yourself from them. And, you know, if we had social workers to come into that situation and be like, hey, this is how you can get out of it instead of just putting the husband in jail or the boyfriend in jail for like a night and then having him come back home the next day, then we would have completely no different situations happening in domestic violence situations as well as uh, mental health problems and uh, people with schizophrenia who get killed by cops just because they're having a freak out in the road or, um, you know, things like that. I agree. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really much looking forward to a future where cops aren't the one, always the ones first called to the scene. You know what I mean? Because I like, like, you know, I've been in situations where the police make things worse, you know? So, yeah, I agree that we definitely need more of that. 
uh, and I'm glad that they started that program in Denver already. That's really dope. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen on some of your stories before in the past where you've had bad run-ins with the police. And I was writing an yeah. essay last night for one of my classes about about power and privilege for a class I'm taking this semester. And we're having a, another a, to- a topic on policing specifically. But one mm. of the things that I mentioned in my essay was that it's so awful that in this country and many countries else, uh, elsewhere in the world, white people like myself don't have to fear the police walking down the street while black indigenous people of color, everyone else who is not white, you're at such a much higher risk of anything bad from the police. I, I don't need to name things. You- yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, uh, as for police escalating situations, I mean, I'm going to give an example from my personal life. I haven't really shared anything personal on this podcast, but I I think it helps give perspective. So I'm going to do that. So, like, I I honestly have seen, like, a lot of situations in my my personal life because I lived in a a really impoverished area for a long time. And um, I dated a guy and there was a bad situation. But part of the the reason why the situation got escalated is because he was afraid that police were going to show up to, to the scene. And that is why he reacted the way he did. And that's why it escalated to the point where, you know, my life was in danger and and all of that was because he was so scared that he was going to get arrested and put into the system. Yeah, because he had been arrested so many times for minor things. And when you get arrested enough for doing nothing, you eventually don't like you don't even want to get arrested for doing something. And that makes you have violent and visceral reactions to police uh, presence. And it's it's really it's really fucked up. So. Let's use this as a pivot to another part of policing that I think is really important that still kind of relates back to veganism and social issues as well, in that obviously over the past year and a half, two years or so, um, defunding the police has been a major topic of discussion in cities throughout the country. And it's pretty evident that most states, cities, countries, states and cities, et cetera, have bloated police budgets. And so in a good scenario where we move money from police budgets to things like, you know, housing, food security, et cetera, you know, that would put people in better economic situations where they would, you know, let's say even have more opportunity to learn about things like veganism and social justice and to do like to be freed from like those shackles of like living paycheck to paycheck. Oh, building off of that too. Um, like, when we're talking about animal liberation in relationship to all of this, to the police state and to violence in communities, um, places that have slaughterhouses have higher levels of violence because people are desensitized to violence. And so if we're talking about how this, how this like relates to animal uh, liberation, it relates to it because if we continue to put people in situations where they're, where they're desensitized to violence, their communities are going to continue to be more violent. Their mental health is going to continue to be baseline horrible. There's, we, we have to remove slaughterhouses from the equation completely and other violent things like uh, like even working at a chicken plant or working at you know other places where you're going to be work, like raising animals and having to come in contact with them constantly. When you see suffering like that on a daily basis, you you know your mental health really really uh, suffers. And so that's something that you know we need to be talking about more. Is about I know we talk about it a lot, but also like it ties into everything. Everything is connected and it's so fucking, it's so fucked up. I'm sorry. I, I know I say no, it's no, so no, that, that's fine. But like, no, that's a great point as well, because going back to looking at New York city, L you might know this, but take a guess as to approximately how many slaughterhouses there are, there are throughout New York city. Oh, there's there, all the slaughterhouses are in the Bronx, the majority. And, and there's a reason for that. Cause they actually, I was talking to Joe, Joe Carnegie about this. They actually, created laws to stop them from creating new slaughterhouses, new, new, um, 
what are they called here? Viveros and, and other, other names for different cultures. They actually made a law to stop it, but they did nothing to stop the, to, to uh, end or shut down the current ones that are in place. And there's not only mental health issues coming out about this, it's also physical health. There's higher rates of asthma and other disease around these areas. I mean, walking through the street by one of those, if you're walking your dog, they might step in blood. Like, and, and, and to speak more on that, look at the pandemic. That's how those things come about. So yeah, you, you're absolutely right. These- well, to answer my question, there's approximately a hundred slaughterhouses throughout all five boroughs, which mm. seems kind of small given how many people there are, but that's still a ridiculously high amount. If you're talking about like the amount of space that New York encompasses, like it's right. really it's really not that much like land. And so yeah. if you're thinking about a hundred in this tiny little little island, right? And New York City is you know this tiny little place. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot to concentrate in one place. That's a lot of uh, pollution. That's a lot of uh, you yep. know health health consequences. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and like we're talking about this, we're talking about the Bronx, we're talking about places that are majority people yep. of color. So right? exactly. So, so I've been to only two of the slaughterhouses throughout New York. I've been to one in Brooklyn, one in the Bronx. Um, and obviously, you know, those areas are pretty low income, you know, lots of people of color there and high police rates, things like that, as, as we've said. Um, are there any in downtown Manhattan? I doubt. No, no, <laughs> exactly. And so at, at one of the protests that I was at for the live market in Brooklyn, we had one poster that says, oh, you know, do you wonder why there aren't slaughterhouses on Park Ave? Uh, something mm-hmm. like that. And it's, it's a great question. Like, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the middle of the business district, there's no way they're going to be having those, you know, bloody garbage uh, disposals and things like that. You know, there's the, the, the animal body parts there. It's, it's mm-hmm. a terrible public health hazard. And at the time when I was at the uh, slaughterhouse in Brooklyn, there was a chicken that was eating a dead chicken, um, which is basically how viruses spread, which is insane. And, you know, we were trying to alert the, the people there. And another part of that story when I was at the one in Brooklyn, there were police there and they were only making things worse, honestly. You know, always. We were, yeah. Uh, we were trying to, you know, get footage and such. And they were like, oh, you know, you're trespassing and this and that. And just being a huge pain in the ass, as you would imagine. Building off of everything that we've said so far, we have to remember that a lot of what uh, industrial, a lot of the reason why cities even exist has a lot to do with meatpacking districts, has a lot to do with the, with, with physically like producing meat. As we grow, the production of meat continues, right? It, it rises. So people need more meat as, as countries grow. And we're seeing that like across the globe, like we talked about our last episode, we're seeing like this uh, pretty large, greed, large increase of cities, but also a large increase of meat consumption across the globe. And so, um, we're going to be seeing these issues like where we're saying concentration of slaughterhouses in in lower income areas and cities across the world. It's not just going to be an issue here. So we need to solve it here and, you know, try to prevent it in other places by talking about it. So Absolutely. in New York, there actually is um, a bill in progress, I think, to uh, ban future live markets and to shut down some of them. Uh, I can definitely find the sources and information on that, but there was recently a protest at a live market, I think in Queens that uh, I didn't get a chance to make it out to, but there was a council member there and he saw all the horrors that were going on, 
And, you know, it definitely made a difference to him from what I heard from people who were there. Oh, I have a question for you. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, just like in general, how does your uh, Black Lives Matter like activism kind of tie into your vegan activism? Like, how do you do you uh, use them together or do you kind of like kind of switch between them or do you kind of like do one first and then kind of lead into the other? Like, how do you how do you kind of use the intersectionalities of these two, you know, big movements and, and kind of mush, kind them, of together? mush them together? Well, my my preferred way is to to just live my life by example. And when I'm in these circles of different activists that have different causes, um, it can be anything. It could be Abolish ICE, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, the Tigray genocide, um, just so, so many, so many causes that at their core carry vegan ideals, right? So what I've noticed is when I don't try to push the veganism on people, I just kind of just live and do what I do. But then these people are also seeing me also fight for the animals. You know, I'm not only here for your cause, but I'm also fighting for the animals. I've actually had friends that started eating more plant-based um, in these circles because they're like, you know what? It makes sense. Like what she's doing makes sense. She's fighting for people, but also for non-human animals, you know, like it, it, it just, it just starts to click, you know, and, and, and I don't, I don't try to put one on top of the other or, 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 or only, or like interject with like things that are like out of topic, you know what I mean? Is it, cause that can also be like, okay, now you're co-opting, you know, and, and, and now that, that, that marginalizes or, or that kind of, um, what is it? Well, what's the word trivializes the, the, the current topic at hand, you know what I mean? So I noticed that that's, that's been the most effective way um, for me to spread the vegan message within these circles and actually kind of intertwine them together. It's, it's been working. <laughs> that's awesome. I think that also exhibits how, uh, how different like activism strategies work for different people in, in different yes. circles. There's a higher like rate of growth in people of color and black people in indigenous people and veganism than there are white people, you know, becoming vegan. And so, uh, you know, there's, obviously these conversations are happening in all of these types of activism circles, right? So yes. um, I think it's it's really cool and insightful that you said that, okay? Thank to you. Bounce off, yeah, to bounce off of that, um, going back to New York City, uh, this past, I think I might've mentioned this before, but uh, last summer I attended Black Veg Fest, which I think has been a recurring event for the last two years or so. It was really a, a great experience seeing them talk about the intersection of issues. And uh, a recent elect to the New York State Senate, Jabari Brisport, who is, um, he's black, he's gay, he's an animal rights activist. He's an awesome yes. guy. I got to meet him. He's and awesome. He, he had a five minute speech to everyone where he was talking about basically the, the intersection of animal rights and black rights and he was talking about environmental racism in you know in pig farms and how they're in low-income communities and how dairy affects people of color and you know everyone was really getting it and he definitely had a fantastic way of getting his points across and he totally knew everything what he was talking about it was really inspiring that's what's up i remember i phone banked for that man i'm so happy that we have someone like him in brooklyn right now because that's exactly how you have to do it you talk about the cause, the the um, the situation, then you tie in how it all fits together. That's a beautiful thing. So weird that like you guys are in the same kind of not same circle, but you guys are in the same city. So you guys are kind of coming. I in didn't know that. I didn't know Seth that you was in New York. Is lit. I'm I'm uh, I'm staying with my parents right now in uh, in Westchester, and so I've been going oh. to the city occasionally. 
uh, for animal rights stuff. Uh, and yeah, so, it's pretty awesome. That's what's up. Yeah, next time I throw like a when whenever we're able to throw parties, you definitely gotta come through for a vegan party. <laughs> I've had them. <laughs> so uh, I guess for people in cities who do have more access to like big activism, what kind of you know tips do you guys have as people who do a lot of in-person activism for people who want to get involved in that kind of stuff? I would say just like how um, p- vegans use Facebook, like to 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 find their their little circles of vegans. You know what I mean? Um, I would say that that would be a great idea. There's also Val. In Val, you have a way to connect with other vegans near you and um, even create events and stuff and, and, and start conversations. You could even do lives on there and like link up with other vegans um, near you who also are intersectional. I think that that's the imp- part of the importance of something like VAAO, right? Right. Uh, or yeah. Val, as you say, right? So uh, yeah. That has been such a source of brightness in my life. Um, I get, it sends me automatically email notifications. So I get a notification every single time anybody posts anything, <laughs> but it makes me so happy to see that there's so many people um, who are really like making a difference. Everybody who's on VAO is, is really like heavily involved in activism yep. and they have like such like good things to say, so, such good insight. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that's, uh, that's awesome that there's things like that. And also the liberation group that Seth uh, had me join on Facebook nice. has been really also a, a good source of information for me as well. To reference so what you're I talking about, that. there is a group called the Total Liberation Information Station uh, on Facebook, which is uh, run by a vegan anarchist uh, Facebook page. And they have a lot of really good talks about intersectional issues. Um, they have a lot of texts on readings about intersectional veganism, mm-hmm. things like that. And one thing I wanted to add to your question was, you know, when it comes to keeping your activism intersectional, I think, you know, I'm fortunate that here in New York, you know, the Vegan Activist Alliance uh, is very collective liberation mindset. But if wherever you are, that's not the case, the least you can do is try and raise awareness for the other issues within such an animal rights group. And hey, talk about like, you know, food insecurity or police issues or things like that. And, you know, they'll probably start to get it. Kind of like the opposite of what Elle was saying, right? Like Elle was saying that in her other groups that you're like like entering like information, leading by example, telling people about veganism like slowly. Um, When you are in animal rights organizations, like, you know, you can start to speak up about human rights issues as well in the same way that Elle was saying earlier yeah i agree yeah Uh, yeah. just interjecting it like hey you know this is that but like you said about food insecurity hey well Mm -hmm. this is a food Mm -hmm. desert here that that we need to um solve this issue here for these people to actually be able to live vegan like and it's not just as simple as solving that one issue it's 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 being empathetic enough to understand that most poor bipoc are not able to easily access vegan proteins the same way that um some of yeah. us can so just being empathetic and 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 letting people this whole this whole idea of you have to go vegan right now or else you're a horrible terrible person and you're going to hell that idea of vegan activism has got to end it's got to end like yeah. in these circles like in for, for example av if you're still doing those you know i know there's people out there that still do these i can't be an av anymore because i've had a few instances where i felt very um uh, very quieted, very uh, silenced. Um, 
So yeah, if you're still in these circles, you can just bring up conversations too and talk to people there. You know what I mean? Like, and and just try to get people to open up the same way that we get people to open up about veganism. So I, I, I agree. I have two things on that. And so I think what you're saying about, you know, people not having access to vegan food is very important. And we have to all understand that. And I think what boils down and to- if you want to learn more about that, you can listen to our previous episode with Tyra the Taurus about yes. food insecurity. Go on. Sorry, Seth. So I think what that boils down to in, I think, most vegans' opinion is that anyone who can and has the means to go vegan should. And I think that should be our underlying message when it comes to specifically plant-based eating activism. And uh, the other thing was that, um, you know, if you're really unhappy with a group, for example, AV, and in reality, they're likely not to change their mindset super significantly. Um, you know, you can just form another group. Going back to the Vegan Activist Alliance, which I'm part of, um, this was formed by a group of former AV organizers who weren't happy with the top-down leadership. Um, you know, I think there used to be five different AV groups in New York City, and then they disbanded uh, after some conflicts with upper management. And so soon after, they formed Vegan Activist Alliance, which is, you know, very intersectional, et cetera. And I think they're flourishing very well. So something that I wanted to add on to that, well, two things, I have two things to say. First thing is that there's some really good piece, there's a really good piece of wisdom that uh, Lauren Ornelas at the Food Empowerment Project imparted onto Seth and EA and I, uh, whenever we had, a, we had a talk with her a couple of months ago, they said that it doesn't matter, like these types of conversations that you have, you don't have to expect that your group is huge. Like you don't have to feel bad if you only have four or five people in your group. Um, because if you only have those, that small amount of people, that means that the discourse is going to be deeper and you're going to be able to have more in-depth conversations rather than just kind of screaming at each other. Of course, having a big group is good, but it's also, there's nothing wrong with starting out with a couple friends, like starting out with like four or five people and, you know, having them like reach out to their friends and family and have these conversations about veganism. Um, you don't have to like expect every single event that you have to be huge or every Every single thing that you do to be huge because every single little thing that you do, you know, counts. You might turn somebody vegan from a conversation you have in the grocery store, you know, so um, that's one thing. And another thing that I want to tell people to do, because I think this is something that people don't really think about. We're currently in a, in a, in a time where information is being given out for free everywhere. People are doing video, uh, doing these video conversations. People are on clubhouse. People are doing lives like uh, Instagram lives like EA did last week, uh, a couple days ago, talking about, you know, how to change the vegan conversation. Um, and only, not only that, but universities, like, especially like my law school and uh, other schools across the country are hosting zoom speaking events for free that you can just get the zoom link from the website and, and like sit in and listen to what these people have to say, because we have experts that are just giving out information for free. So if you want to learn, all you have to do is find a local university and like figure out, okay, what do I want to learn? And who, and you know, you know, who do I want, what kind of information do I want to know? And trust me, somebody's talking about it somewhere. So to add on to that last part, um, I recently attended a Northwestern university uh, a Zoom call with Christopher Sebastian, who I have a ton of admiration for. Same. Uh, and he was talking about the use of animals in American politics. And everything he said was so smart and eloquent and extremely well put together. Um, the guy is awesome. 
Yeah, I stand Christopher Sebastian for sure. He's in the network too. In, in We Are Val, he's in there. Hey. We are vegan. And I don't know if we said it before. It Val stands for Vegans Against All Oppression. Yes, I don't know if you can that. find you can find Val at wearevaao.org. Yes. You just type that into your browser. You can join the network and uh, you know be involved with a bunch of really awesome vegan activists. Oh yeah, and um, I love that it works like a social network where you can follow each other, you can DM, you can host lives um create events oh, yeah i just want to also say that we are not getting paid to say all this stuff like i actually really do love it uh this is not a this is not a paid sponsored segment no uh, it's because we all believe in it <laughs> yes and it, it's also like uh something that if you're an academic and you're somebody who really likes to Ooh. write and really likes to share information like i am then you can actually write like articles like yours kind of like tumblr like old school tumblr yes yes um and they you can amazing. share information with people yeah thank you i appreciate that um so that, that's something you can do. You can just share whatever information you have and share links and that kind of stuff and really, you know, curate inf- curate content that you can share to all the other social media profiles. And, you know, it's a, it's a really good way to kind of have like a touchstone yeah. for everything. So I really love it. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're a part of yeah. it, both of y'all. <laughs> so I want to rewind a little bit, if y'all don't mind. Elle, do you want to tell us your going vegan slash becoming an activist story? Because I feel like seeing how passionate you are now about things, I would love to see some of the backstory, here rather, the backstory to that. Well, okay, I'll try to make it brief. So I went plant-based for my health and I was trying to live as vegan as I knew because I didn't know anything about veganism when I watched um, Forks Over Knives. That was back in 2012. The, in January 2013, actually. So after I went vegan for my health, it, it, and I, then I saw Dominion. Dominion was the one that really set me over the edge. And I'm like, no, like, I need to be vegan for the animals. Like, this is, this is, this is not cool, you know? Like, I was watching that. And, and um, but be, before I, I even got into animal rights activism, I got into human rights activism. Um, it, the BLM movement, when it, when it first started, not when it first started, I think when I actually got into activism was Eric Garner. It was Eric Garner. I remember those I Can't Breathe protests in New York City. And I had just moved back to New York from Florida. And so I had never participated in any type of activism. I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. I just showed up to all the protests and, and talked to people. And, and, and I got to meet some really dope activists um, that I'm still cool with. And so... Um, later on my first in my first excuse me I would say the first time I actually did any animal activism was when they finally brought AV to the Bronx the first ever AV cube was that that was in the Bronx I was there and these women it was mostly women there they were so inclusive and so nice and so like embracing you know so so I was like okay yeah like I need to do this more often. I need to be a voice for the animals. Um, and so I even went on to do an animal rights march in Japan that year. Um, there weren't any vegans that were participating. And so I was doing it all alone. I went from like Shinjuku to, to Harajuku in a train with my little sign. And, and I was all dressed up and, and walked up and down Takeshita Street, which is like the famous Harajuku block. And like, yeah, that was that's how I got into animal rights. But what sucks is my next cube, my next animals, uh, anonymous for the voices cube was really shitty. And everyone after that, like I did probably like six more. It was just, I just felt so like they barely let me talk to people. 
I couldn't talk to people because I guess they assume because I'm black that I, I can't know enough to convince anybody. I don't know what it was, but they rarely let me talk to people. I was always inside holding a thing. It was a completely different experience than from the one in the Bronx, which was led by women of color. It was a, a like night and day. So AV actually turned me off to that type of animal activism, but I still am heavily involved. I, I feel like it developed over time, just this passion that I have for like, if I know, even if I find out about something late, if it moves me to say something or do something about it, I'm going to do it. I don't care if I'm by myself. I don't care if there's a hundred thousand people there. Like I'm still going to take an action. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's unexplainable, but just like the other day when, um, the, Tigray genocide, um, Omna Tigray, they reached out to us um, to, to spread awareness about it. And I mean, as soon as I, I went to that rally and they were screaming some wild, I'm sorry, can I curse? I'm... Everybody <laughs> always asks us that. And it's like, yes, you can cuss on here. <laughs> well, I, it's so funny that like, you know, we have this professionalism to the point where you have to ask, do you, can you curse? But we're pretty <laughs> much know. only inviting our friends anyways. So... <laughs> True. Well, they were screaming some wild shit. I'm talking about like disclaimer here is gonna be really bad. This meant these people were screaming, stop raping our women, stop raping our children, gang raping them. Like it was and when I heard that, it just shook me to my core. Like I know I'm just one person, I'm just one voice, but I came home and I made a video about it a little reel, a 30 second reel, giving like the most pertinent facts. And then I wrote like a little mini article, which I'm going to upload to Val under it as a caption. And it already has like 30,000 views. And I posted it last night, like around 10 PM. You know what I mean? Like, so just being like that one voice, if, if you just take action, no matter how it is, it, you never know, like it could, it could end up helping, you know what I mean? So, um, I just, I just wanted to end that with that, that like one voice can, can spark of hundreds and millions. Yeah, and it's never too late to start start engaging in activism. Facts. I remember I remember 2015 and 2016 and all of the BLM protests. And I remember back then the BLM protests was like uh you know a couple of years after Ferguson and and everybody was really uh scared of engaging in BLM protests. And I remember like I was I lived in Nashville during um during all of the original BLM protests and um, I went to a couple of them and they weren't like, they weren't the way that they were demonized on the news then. And I remember thinking in 2016, and I'm sure a lot of people felt this, like, remember in 2016, whenever people just stopped talking about BLM and like, it, it just went silent and you didn't hear anything about it anywhere. And there were no protests that anybody knew about. It was just silent for a long time until the George Floyd stuff happened. And, um, I always wondered why that happened. I always wondered why, you know, it wasn't that people stopped, you know, fighting for it. It's that the news stopped covering it. So I don't know, maybe you could lend some insight to that, but like, you know, why, why is it that things are only, I guess, talked about whenever they're like new, kind of like the Flint water crisis, like people still, they don't have water. there still, and people aren't talking about it. So like, what is, what is it about the novelty that causes people to only care when things are new? Uh, for me, I think it's that, um, that, that factor of clout. I know it's, it's a new term that people have been using, but I feel like people love to hop on things in the beginning. And like, if it's not there, then it's not going to get enough traction and they feel like it's not worth it. And like, okay, move on to the next. It's this whole 24 hour news cycle that, that kind of got everybody on this weird, very, I'm, I just want to emphasize very strange 
fact that how you can go from sharing all these horrors and then go right into um, um, sharing some food and and then oh now you're at a party and 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 I'm I do that sometimes too like sometimes I'll go from sharing one thing and then like something happens I have to post about something else and something else it's always something new and but I feel like as long as we have our voices we can't stop advocating for the causes that we feel most passionately about you know what I mean and 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 it, it sucks but I, I I try to keep everything in mind but at the same time, there's all sorts of horrific things happening around the world, you know. So I feel like if we just keep our voices and keep bringing attention to them until there's some kind of solution, um, I feel like we could be on the right path. I think a good way to wrap things up is that we don't need you, me, or whoever to advocate for a million different things at the top of our lungs. We need as many people as possible to advocate for things to change because it's unfortunate that, for example, let's go back to animal rights in New York City. Um, the small group of activists that I'm in uh, going to these events is such a small fraction of all the vegans in New York City. And so I think that we need to really look at the domino effect that EA touched upon back in, I think, episode two, where just me doing one thing to be, act- be an activist is not enough because I need to inspire other people to be activists. I agree. And it, I want to say like... Collective. I was going to say, like, especially uh, I think that I think that L, you're one person that does inspire a lot of people to do a lot of activism. You inspire people. You definitely inspire me. I know so many times you've jumped on our Sunday Zoom call and you are in you're literally at a protest, taking a break in your little in your little outfit, doing your (laughs) like jump on the call. You're like, I got 10 minutes, but hi. (laughs) I remember those days. Your last summer was a motherfucker. <laughs> Yo, last summer, I was out there <laughs> in a pandemic, but being safe, of course, you know, yeah, masks yeah. and all that. So do you have anything you want to promote? I know we've been promoting this whole time, so whatever. I know. You can reiterate thing- it. The only thing I just want everyone to be a part of our social network. I, I call it a social network. We need a mighty network. Um, but I just want anyone, everyone to come and connect with us in um, wearevow.org. That's we are vaao.org. Definitely go in there, set up your user profile, meet some friends, meet you probably have vegans, intersectional vegans near you that you're not aware of and, and make those connections with um, more like-minded folks. So together we can change the narrative around veganism. We could redefine what veganism is to the future generations and the future vegans who come on board in this movement because we have to stop giving platforms to these cishet males that... Oh, Sorry. But yeah, that, that, that basically was it. <laughs> well, you guys can follow L at L Travels Vegan on Instagram, uh, Trans Lives Matter on on Twitter. Yeah. And also L Travels Vegan on Twitter. I remade a new Twitter account. Sorry. <laughs> um, and you can also find L on VAAO at L. Uh, you're all over there. So they're going to find you immediately. <laughs> and I think that that's pretty much it. Elle has so many things going on and you will definitely benefit and learn from everything that they do. Everything. Thank so. you. Thank you. Likewise, y'all, y'all got an amazing podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And this has been Behind the Tofu.